jump into this for a little bit behind schedule, but we don't apologize for our worship at Citywide. Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 41. I'm going to look at verses 46, and we're finishing out this series on stewardship. Stewardship being the idea that we manage all that we have with the intention that God has for everything that we have. Amen? Amen. That God owns everything, and we are just managers of what God has given us. Tell the person next to you, I'm in management. I'm in management. Now, a lot has happened in the story of Joseph as we pick it up in Genesis 41. A lot has transpired. Joseph has encountered two prisoners who, number one, were high-ranking officials in the court of Pharaoh. Remember that Joseph started off as being the favorite of his dad, thrown into slavery because his brothers uh, sold him because they hated him. And then he got lied on in Potiphar's house by his wife. He's thrown in jail, and he's given a job of being a steward in jail again. And there's this theme in Joseph's life that he does with excellence everything he is given. Whether good or whether bad, he manages it with somebody say excellence. So he encounters these two men, both have dreams, and he translates their dream, and he gets it right. Here's the dreams. The baker would be executed, and the cupbearer would be restored. That's the dream right there. One of them is going to get killed, and the other one will be restored. And he tells the one who's going to be restored, don't forget about me. But that rarely ever happens because people always forget what you've done for them. That's a whole other sermon, don't worry. <laughs> and so they, until this man is encountered with another scenario, he forgets about Joseph, and Joseph is in jail for another year plus, and nobody has heard from Joseph, and this guy forgets all about Joseph's plight. But then Pharaoh has a dream, and he has this wild dream. And, and then the Bible says that Joseph is able to come out of jail, and he translates Pharaoh's dreams. Hear me now. He translates Pharaoh's dream, and here's the gist of Pharaoh's dream. You're going to have seven years of abundance and seven years of famine, a.k.a. lack. You're going to have seven amazing years financially and seven horrendous years. And Joseph, in turn, he gives Pharaoh a quick plan, a very quick plan by the Spirit of God. This is what you should do. And the Bible says that Pharaoh looks at Joseph. He sees that God is on Joseph. And he says, is there anybody like this man in whom the Spirit of God rests in all of my kingdom? I want to pause for a second to tell somebody today that maybe the way that you unlock your dream, because now in a moment, Joseph is about to be catapulted to the number two spot in all of Egypt. This is the strongest, probably the most wealthy nation in the earth at the time, and he's gone from a prisoner to a prime minister. Maybe the way that you get to unlock your dream is by unlocking other people's dreams. Maybe the way that you get your thing that God told you is by you helping somebody else get their thing. It's not always about you. You think that you're the main event, and God will have to teach you at certain intervals in your life that you are not the main event. He is. You are a bystander in the story of God. You ain't even the main character in your own life. Jesus is. And until he is, you will find yourself in those proverbial jails. Now, Joseph unlocks the Pharaoh's dream, and we pick it up in verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old. That means he was in jail for 13 years total when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And Joseph went out from the presence of the Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Really important there. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. Multiple, plural there. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great, somebody say, abundance. Like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. I jumped down to verse 50 there. And seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. We've gotten to this place in Joseph's life where he's gone from bringing this prisoner and this slave that nobody has to listen to, to now he is the second in command of all of Egypt. God has developed him from this prideful, arrogant young man to be a responsible and capable steward. And can I stop for a moment to let somebody know that maybe the process of God in your life feels like bondage. That sometimes the processes of God in your life might feel like God is keeping you locked up, locked down, and he's keeping you in this place where he's developing something deeper in you, as we talked about last week, that you may not see at the moment. Each and every one of us is on a journey of some level of stewardship, whether of finances or character or leadership of something in your life. But we live in a day and age, and I wish you could be honest here, that people want promotion without having earned it. We have this generation that thinks that everything should just be so equal and everyone should have everything just the same. And we have the socialistic mindset at times not to be political in any you know, shape or form. But people want to turn job into career type money. Rather than doing the work of going to a career or learning a trade, and they want that quick, you know, now you ask the kid what you want to be. It used to be a doctor, an astronaut, a lawyer, a sports star. Now it's just I want to be a YouTuber. I want people to know who I am. And you may have nothing interesting about your life, but you want everybody to know who you are. Blessings don't come because you think you deserve it. They come because you've been through a process that you can now hold it. We have to allow the process in our life to produce something like it did for Joseph. Don't rush to get rich. Don't rush to grow up. I was telling my kids the other day, when daddy was a little boy, he wanted to grow up so bad. He wanted to be an adult. But I got news for you young people. Adulting sucks. I wish I had a witness there. For all you people still living with mom and dad, stay there as long as you can. Stay there, please. There's this thing called bills that come in the mail, and you got to pay bills all the time, and it never stops. But when you're under the shelter of mommy and daddy, you can get a little bit of relief, right? Proverbs 13, 11 says this, wealth gained hastily, meaning in a rush, will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Don't be in a rush. For 13 years, Joseph had been faithful where he had been placed. Many of you are, are desiring God to be faithful in areas you're not faithful. And we take the scripture out of context. Well, he's faithful even when I'm not faithful. It doesn't mean that you have an intentional unfaithfulness. 
Now, for, for those of you who don't think I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. It might be that job that you don't like. Are you faithful on that job? I had, a, I had a corrected a young man a number of months ago who, who was working overnight, and he was talking about X, Y, and Z about his job. And I'm like, but you sleep half the night away. Are you being faithful to your job, or are you stealing from them? Are you being faithful? Are you watching on your phone? Are you sitting there in the bathroom on the phone and you're at your job? And are you actually working or are you stealing from them? And you may not see it like that, but it's because you don't have a level of conviction on that yet, but you just got it. You have to be faithful in every area. Real quick, three points to this. Number one, in stewardship, preparation comes before elevation. You cannot ask God to elevate you without God first preparing you because you're asking God to put you in a place that you're not built to withstand the pressures of what comes with that. I've had a hundred and, and thousand people I've encountered, especially when I was working in the secular job, and you probably encountered this, the people who are critical of the boss, but in truth, they have no capacity to ever be the boss. They can't handle the pressure that comes with being the leader. They can't handle the pressure that comes with making decisions and being decisive. And they don't understand what it takes to actually carry the whole program that they're carrying. And you're sitting there criticizing your boss, but you may not have the capacity they have. You have to be prepared before you're elevated. It's a natural progression of life that, that God prepares us first before he utilizes us. I would be worried about being exposed too soon. I would be concerned with having too much success too soon because it might get to your head. Understand this. The current job you have is to build you up, to build strength in you, to build character and leadership and patience in you for the next one. Where God has you is a part of the process. But the lie of the enemy is, well, because I don't like what I'm doing or where I'm at, I don't have to steward myself at my job. I don't make enough money to actually write a budget, so I'll just count it in my head. The devil is a liar. Sometimes your mentality is the bare minimum. I'm going to do the bare minimum at work. I heard Pastor Dexter, we were having a conversation. He called it the phenomenon of quietly quitting. You're still there, but inside you've quietly quit. You do the bare minimum at all things. You do the bare minimum at church, bare minimum at work, bare minimum, bare minimum, bare minimum, but you want the maximum capacity blessing, and you're pointing at things of the past. Well, I used to this, and I used to that, God, and I used to, used to, used to, but God's like, but are you being faithful now? Joseph couldn't look at God and say, well, I was a stored in Pharaoh's house, or excuse me, in Potiphar's house. Why do I got to do it in the jail? He had to do it in every season of his life. Joseph did everything to the best of his ability, and we know this. He did it with excellence. Listen to verse 23 of chapter 39. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. We see that in Potiphar's house and in the Pharaoh's house and in the jail, they did not have to worry about anything because Joseph got the job. Somebody say, done. How are you storing those things that God has given you that aren't maybe finances but are opportunities? What are the opportunities that God has given you that you are not storing? Are you working for money or are you working for opportunity? I found out early on in my, in my life at CVS when I was working there as a clerk, I wasn't working for money. I was working for opportunity. Just needed somebody to give me a shot. And one day, God took me from, from, you know, it was like something like 12, 13 hours an hour to 28 hours an hour. Within one day, I got a $15 an hour raise. Because I was working not for the money, but for the opportunity to make more. 
for the opportunity to see that I can manage more. And in an instant, and then within a year later, I was making even more than that because I just needed opportunity. But some of us, we want the opportunity without working hard or at least working consistently hard. Notice what I said there. Why does it matter? Well, because Joseph wasn't getting paid, but he was still being faithful. Y'all don't want to hear that one. Okay. His elevation came after his preparation, but the Lord had built something into him. And I can't stress enough to you how the Bible keeps telling us that Joseph was successful, but Joseph didn't own a darn thing. Your success is not based on what you own. It's based on how God is producing something from your life. He maximized every opportunity afforded him. God was preparing Joseph for the greater. And at each stage of your life, God is preparing you for the next. But what begins to happen to us is we, we judge God based on the experience of our current or our past season. And we don't look with faith, or eyes of faith towards what is ahead of us. But Joseph did not do that. Everywhere he was put, he did his best. There was no bare minimum mentality in the life of Joseph. And you could say, well, Joseph didn't have a choice. Sure he did. Sure he did. But he ran with what he was given. But now Joseph is the number two in all of Egypt, Gary. Isn't that crazy? Go from prisoner to prime minister just like that because you translate one dream because you were ready for the opportunity. Joseph wasn't in jail sitting there saying, man, I hope nobody asked me to trip their dream. Nobody wants to trip my dream. Because it wasn't about Joseph. There was something bigger, and we'll get to it at the end, but there was something bigger that God was working here. Verse 46 of chapter 41, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went through all the land of Egypt. A.K.A. Joseph begins to survey the land. Joseph begins to go into all of Egypt, and he begins to look at what they have and look at their capacity. And during the seven plentiful years, the Bible says the earth produced abundantly, abundantly. The, the JPS, it's a, it's a Jewish commentary of the Torah. It says this, that there was a bumper crop upon bumper crop, that they would sow one seed and they would get a hundred. And there was just a massive increase all over the nation of Egypt. And the increase was because there was a stored in place. The increase was not just because, because, um, because the land was that rich and good, but because God was doing something supernatural, henceforth why the dream was given so that they could know. In other words, God is supernaturally causing the nation of Egypt to produce a harvest in order that Joseph can save it for the nation in the next season. He chose, Joseph did, strategic cities all across the nation to store this food at, and he begins to count it, but it gets to be so plentiful that he stops counting. But the, here's the key. He went all across the land, and he made a plan. Here's point number two, and I'm almost done. Stores don't just pray for an overflow. We plan for an overflow. Yeah, some of y'all just want to pray for it. You don't want to plan or work for it. He had to do a lot of work to get the nation ready to hold what God was sending. Some of you want the supernatural overflow, but you don't want the very natural hard work that comes with putting things in position. We'll be real spiritual. We'll pray about it. We'll seek the Lord. We'll read our Bible about it. But will you go and actually work and plan for it? 
What is your financial plan? We're three weeks into a series about stewardship, and some of you still haven't budgeted, and you're thinking about, maybe I'll do it next year. Conviction there. Not a lot of amens. You're thinking to yourself, well, maybe I'll just do this or that, or maybe I won't keep my finances with my husband. I'll do my own thing on the side. You never know what might happen. Too close to home there. Okay. Joseph made a plan, and the Lord sent a supernatural harvest. I want you to know this. God is real serious about not wasting his harvest. God's real serious about not wasting overflow. He's serious about not wasting seed. How serious is it? Why would God produce fruit if you're not in position to not only harvest it, but store it for the future? Why would God do that? Genesis 2.5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God, listen to me, had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. What it tells me is this, is that God did not allow the earth to produce fruit in the book of Genesis until there was a person to harvest it. God will not produce in your life the thing you are crying out for until you have the character to harvest it, until you have the strength to hold it, until you have the wherewithal and the faith to be able to believe that God's going to help you contain what you've obtained, that what you've got in your hands, that God will help you hold it, keep it for the future. It says there, he did not allow the fruit to come because there was no man to harvest it. What in your life has not come because you have not allowed the plan of God to infiltrate your life and all you keep on doing is maybe speaking against what God is doing or acting against it by not being faithful, whether in your giving, in your planning, in your stewardship. Maybe you're not faithful at your job. All you do is yap about it and you speak so much death over what's in your life that God can't bring seed into your life. Why can God bring, a, how rather would God bring a harvest to where you only speak death? I think too long in church we've overcomplicated finances, and what we fail to realize is that faith and prayer don't compensate for bad stewardship. I'm going to say that again. Faith and prayer, fasting does not compensate for bad stewardship. You cannot live frivolously and then fast and pray because you don't have rent money. Proper planning produces the ability in your life to contain what God has for your life. Joseph understood crisis is coming, but now I need a current plan for a future crisis. Why, why are we harvesting now? Why are we storting, right? If you've been storting the last couple of years in the abundance of the economy, then you wouldn't be worried about inflation because you have seed to sit back on. But if you find yourself struggling consistently, you might have squandered something in the past. And that may be an uncomfortable truth, but I want you to know that many of the financial issues you have have nothing to do with what you're making and everything to do with how you're managing. Storage don't just pray for an overflow. We plan for it. Let's recap, and I'll close with this. Number one, stewardship, right, and preparation comes before elevation in stewardship. That when God is building something in you, he desires fully to number one, prepare you before it comes. Don't ask God for the promotion if you haven't made any progress. Don't ask God for promotion if you haven't made any progress. Number two, stores don't just pray for an overflow. We plan for an overflow. And Joseph knew that an abundance was coming. 
God gave Joseph a supernatural wisdom in order that he would be able to store up and plan properly and calculate everything he would need to for the earth to produce what it needed to so that Israel and all of Egypt would survive. Verse 53, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do it. All of Egypt began to starve, and the Bible says they would give first all of their money to Pharaoh buying grain from Joseph. When their money wasn't enough, they would give their lands to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh would now own all the money and all the land in all of Egypt. And then when the land and the money ran out, the people indentured themselves to Pharaoh for work. And then Joseph, he created this plan in Egypt where he said, all right, we own everything. You keep 95% and you give Pharaoh 5%. He creates a plan where everyone can still eat. But now a portion has to come first to Pharaoh's house because he owns everything. Much like God. A portion got to come to God's house first. He, so Joseph institutes a tithe in all of Egypt. He gets the whole nation tithing basically. You keep the rest, bring this portion in. Bring this, I think it was a, a fifth, rather, a fifth of everything. Bring that in. All of Egypt is starving. But now listen to verse, chap, verse 1 of chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. We don't have time for all the story of this, but Joseph recognizes his brothers. Thirteen years later, Johnny, and Joseph sees his brothers. These are the guys that sold me into slavery. But it hits Joseph, and he begins to understand something deeper is happening at work here. And this is what you got to understand. The, 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 the progress in your life is so far beyond you. If you think it's about you, you've lost it, and you're going to miss it all. It's got nothing to do with you. Joseph had no, nothing to do with anything. God had something bigger in mind. Do you know what God had in mind? Why Joseph went through 13 years of slavery? I'm going to give you a real, a real far out reason why. Okay? Here it goes. Jew, here it goes. Because of you. Because of Jalady Perez. Joseph did 13 years in jail. Pastor, what are you talking about? That Joseph served 13 years for Gary Stewart. Because the Bible says that God gave a promise to a man named Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be redeemed and be blessed. And that promise goes to Isaac, who goes to Jacob. And now the promise is in Jacob's life. And Jacob is at the end of his life. He has 12 sons, one of which is locked up in Egypt, the other 11 which are in Canaan, but they're about to now die of starvation. They're about to die of starvation. But God preserves the promise through putting Joseph in jail. Point number three is real simple, that God uses 
stewardship to preserve generational promises. Joseph goes to jail, and he saves Israel, and he saves the promise. He keeps the promise alive. What is the promise? It's the promise of a coming Savior that they would not see for a couple thousand years, but that Savior's name is Jesus, and he was only here because Joseph served his time in process, and God preserved to Jacob the promises that were Isaac's and were Abraham's. What is God trying to preserve for your children through the process of stewardship he has you in? You do not have to pass down poverty to your children. You do not have to pass down brokenness. You do not have to pass down empty bank accounts and no type of assets. You don't have to pass down bills to your children when you die. You can pass down promises. We're living in the promises of my dad, and my kids will get mine. That's got nothing to do with me. I'm just a conduit. But man, through Joseph's imprisonment, God preserves the plan of salvation. And Joseph is saying in chapter 51, verse 20, what you meant for evil, God, he meant it for good. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Satan, what you mean for evil, God means it for good. And although you think you're putting me through the fire, all you're doing is, is strengthening something in me and you're purging out the weakness and the, the good stuff is hardening and solidifying in my life. And through this process, God is doing something more than I can see. Come on, there's something greater happening in this walk of stewardship. It's not just about you. It's about the promises that God has for your family, for your children. How many parents are in the room today? For your children. How many grandparents here? For your grandchildren. For your grandchildren. That you manage yourself well so that you can preserve the promises of God. I thank God for Joseph's 13 years. And if Joseph's 13 years can preserve that promise, God, do whatever you have to do in Lewis's life to preserve the promises for Aria, for Myla, and for Emmy. Do whatever you have to do, God, because in the end, it's worth it. In the end, there's an intrinsic value in the promises of God. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to go through the process? Come on, stand with me. Are you willing to go through the process? God takes stewardship and he preserves inside of it generational promises. Generational promises. Generational promises. Do not allow, do not allow, and do not make your children do things that God called you to do. Do it now. Do it now so that for the sake of your generations to come, there could be a seed in the earth that can impact the kingdom of darkness. And push it back for the glory of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Really quickly, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, know we've had a phenomenal time in the spirit. We've had a time of worship. But if you know that your life is not right with God and your, your salvation right now is not secured, would you lift your hand up? You want to pray. You're saying, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ right here, right now. If you're watching online, uh, we have people standing by. Maybe Joseph, he served some of that time for you, and you came here today asking God, I want to make my life right with you. Maybe first time ever or first time in a long time. If that's you, would you lift your hand as high as you can so we can see? We want to pray with you right where you're at. Thank you. We want to pray with you right where you're at. Father God, thank you, Lord. 
thank you, Lord. Church, let's pray this prayer together for the sake of time. Holy Spirit, we ask you now, come into our hearts, come into our lives. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, Jesus died for my sins, and he paid that price. I'm part of that promise that Joseph was preserving. Jesus, I want to walk with you. Would you strengthen me? Would you guard my heart that I may walk with you all the days of my life? Come on, would you celebrate that right now? Now, I usually would ask you to come forward and pray with you, but if you prayed that prayer, I saw a number of hands, but can you just come to this front corner? We want to pray with you, and we want to just be able to make sure we get some information from you. We do have a second service coming in real fast, and so you guys are blessed. We love you. God bless you, and I pray that we will see you next Sunday or Wednesday at midweek. Amen? God bless you guys.